0: Alright, man, welcome to the introduction for Crow Triple Seven Radio episode 155. Jason Lingren is with me and Chris Van Maitre, who also used a SolarMax scope to film the solar anomaly that I filmed back in 2016. He's filmed it a number of times since. And while we are reasonably certain there is no possible way this could be lens flare, we still have very little well, we, we have ideas about what it could be, but we're hoping more people will go out and film. And in this episode We try to put forward ways people could go out and try to view this with no money at all, with cheap tools, with cameras, with small scopes, and we explain how to do all that. We also explain how to be safe when you're viewing the sun in any number of ways. Right now, uh, we've got two ideas. Maybe it's a reflection off something. Maybe it's another object, but we need a lot more information, and Chris and I will be shooting simultaneously, him in Denver, me in Rhode Island. To see what we can learn, check angular distances, these types of things. But we're hoping that a lot of people will take an interest and start to film the sun. We are getting responses from many people who have seen our film Shoot the Moon, which is streaming on Vimeo, that are very interested in getting into filming the sky. So there's that. Let's jump in with Jason Lindgren and Chris Van Matry and talk all about filming the sun. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 155. I have Jason Lingren with me today and Chris Van Maitre, uh, who has also shot the double object when we're filming the sun and hydrogen alpha, whatever that other object might be. Welcome, Jason. And a fine good evening to you. All right. What do we have for the intro here? Uh, since we did the last show, I guess the the film has gone live.
1: The film has indeed gone live, and I am happy to report that I have not had a negative thing said about it. I have gotten everything from, that was good, to, oh my god, that was amazing. So I'm very pleased about that.
0: Yeah, it's always cool when you get away from typical social media uh, and all the negativity that sometimes comes with it. I haven't seen anything negative. I've seen critiques here and there, but it's all been open and fair. So, yeah, it's a good thing. Uh, We've seen a lot of people saying they're going to get interested in filming the sky, which is a great thing.
1: Yeah, I've been monitoring our social media pages a lot, and a lot of folks are definitely interested. So it's, it's very nice that we've inspired that. I think that's wonderful.
0: Right, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about what I shot in 2016. Chris Van Maitre has also shot what I shot in 2016 using a hydrogen alpha telescope. I was also using a full-spectrum converted Canon DSLR for part of the filming that I did. But during the course of this, we're going to actually address um, how people can start to film the sky and get involved here, and we're going to try to do it from zero cost all the way up to owning cheap telescopes or for people who want to full-blown just go buy a new telescope. We'll try to cover these things. Anything else for the intro, Jason? You
1: did a show this morning, if I recall correctly.
0: Um, that is true, and um, it is called Forbidden Knowledge News. Um, that is the name of the channel on YouTube. Um, He was a really nice guy. Uh, it's a good interview. I posted it on Twitter and a couple other places. Um, where else have we been?
1: We also posted it on both of our Facebook social media pages. So anyone who wants to hear it, they can just go there. And we just did Globe Busters. That was a big deal because those folks, I
0: think, have been wanting to get you on forever, correct? Yeah, it's a big audience. We did do it. I forget how long it went. A couple of hours. Yeah, since we've put the, the film out, it, it feels like I've had this mic in my face ever since. So I'm kind of losing track. It's just been so many hours of uh, recording. But anyhow, let's let's cut to the chase here. Are you ready to get Chris in here? Absolutely. Go ahead, man.
1: Chris Von Maitre, welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. It's a pleasure to have you here.
2: And it's a pleasure to be on. Thank you guys for having me on.
1: I think the best way to start this discussion would be to explain who you are, Chris, and why you're doing what you're doing. Because I actually think it's kind of humbling, if I may speak for Crow, slightly.
2: Well, I'm a land surveyor, and I've always been interested in the sky. And Crow was the one that inspired me to get out and start shooting the sky. So I started on the moon with my 70D cannon and my 500 millimeter lens, and got to looking on the internet to see if I could find amateur uh, footage of the sun or anybody that had done work on the sun. I didn't see any, so I decided I'd go out, purchase a solar telescope with a double stack on it, and start photographing and videoing the sun with my hydrogen alpha telescope.
1: Right. It's actually the same gear setup that Crow has, correct?
2: Yes, the exact same.
1: And this is very interesting because you, of course, were getting similar results. And what we're going to talk about here are the discoveries that you have made. So Crow, why don't you lead us in uh, as far as what you shot and when to bring everyone up to speed on the double sun situation? And then we'll take it from there.
0: All right, we're using the word double sun, but let's make it perfectly clear. Um, This is all being vetted out. We're trying to learn more. We really don't know, certainly, what we've shot here. So let's get that on the record and be fair. Uh, I think one thing we are certain of, and I'll ask Chris here in a second, is I think we've proven that it's not possibly lens flare of any kind. Do you agree with that, Chris? Yes. Okay, so there's two of us who have... Quite a bit of experience with telescopes and actually chris also has a very large celestron scope um, i saw a picture of it is that an 11 or is is that like a, a nine chris that you have your celestron it's an eight inch oh it's an eight um i knew i was in the ballpark i could only see the rear cell um from the image you sent me um so i, I think confidently we can we've proved that it wasn't lens flare now i shot this the first time i shot it was back in 2016 in march Um, What got me looking in the way I did, and I guess maybe I should preface this, when you're using a hydrogen alpha scope, basically the scope is peering out into the sky in the hydrogen alpha wavelength. The front of the scope is knocking down surface brightness, maybe Chris will correct me, but it's 90-some percent of the sun's surface brightness is being knocked down. Um, having said that, when you try to take one of these small scopes with a tiny little viewfinder and put it on the sun, it's a little bit of work until you get good at it. So I'm I'm explaining all this to maybe try to help explain why no one else has done this. Because once you get that scope on the sun, you're so happy to have it in frame and tracking and all that, you stay on the sun, which is what you set out to film. Now here's what I did. I had been filming the moon uh, with a full-spectrum DSLR Canon camera, and my wife always wanders around the sky when she films. I usually, well, not usually, always did it dead-centered on the moon because I didn't want to sit out there for six hours and move the scope off the moon and miss something and then be upset that I wasted six hours. One night, I was sitting there and I said, to heck with this, I'm bored. I'm going to start scanning the sky. I got about a quarter of the sky from the moon, and there was a bright spot on a number of nights, I came back and I did this, and I found the bright spot, and that's what got me thinking uh, when I was shooting during the day with the hydrogen alpha scope, and so I began to scan around, and lo and behold, the second object that most of us have seen the video is, I found that. So at this point, unbeknownst to me, Chris Van Maitre uh, has seen what I'm, I've done, and he goes out and replicates it all the way back in 2016, and we don't I, we haven't met. So all this time two of us had shot it and it's not until 2019 that I finally post the footage confident enough that I'm not making a terrible error of some kind overlooking something about the equipment or you know just not recognizing something obvious and I put the footage out which was based on the work Jason and I did on Falconelli and the cathedrals as you know, integrated to the sky clock. So there's all the backstory. And let's shift over to Chris for a second, because in the last couple days, days, uh, Chris and I have got to know each other and he sent me an image. I think it was yesterday or actually is when we were on globe busters, the hydrogen alpha scope has a little tiny viewfinder. It's like a pinhole viewfinder and it has a little film across the front of it that knocks down the surface brightness of the sun. So with your naked eye you can look through to try to help acquire the sun. Chris noticed on the back of his pinhole viewfinder there were two dots that look like two suns. And I think that's very intriguing. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Chris. Can you just kind of explain in your own words how that happened and and how you came to understand that there were potentially a double image of the sun in your viewfinder.
2: Yes, I set up Uh, yesterday before globebusters and was uh, trying to do some more observations and in doing so i was panning my scope around and i noticed that i had two bright spots through the viewfinder so i ran in grabbed my camera and took a shot of it now last night i went out and was able right before sundown to set it back up again and get the viewfinder to uh, do the exact same thing. And I tried to get both the sun that we see and the one that we don't in the camera as far as the video on it. Once I started playing around with it though, I noticed Crow that it did kind of like refract through the eye hole to create that second image at the back of the viewfinder.
0: So what you're saying now is you think the double image that was seen in your viewfinder is some sort of refraction? Yes. Well, that's actually kind of a relief to me because you heard me when I first saw the image. I said, how is that even possible? Um, And then I stepped back and I began to try to think it through. And since I I was open to the possibility that maybe you were picking up both objects, I still couldn't figure out how it's possible. I mean, we both know that it's basically a straw. (laughs) The viewfinder is basically a straw with a pinhole um, and film over the front. So let's cast that aside now that you've tested it away because that was going to be one of the first tests I did. Am I correct in stating that the first time you, you you saw my footage in 2016 and shortly after I posted it, you went out and replicated it? Is that how this went? Yes. Do you remember yes. the month?
2: No, I don't remember the month specifically. And I've been trying to go through my footage to see if I could find exactly when I did shoot that.
0: So what was your experience? Were, did you actually set out to find the, the other object or did you stumble into it? Actually... No, I set out to find it once
2: I saw your footage. I was intrigued and uh, went out and set up my uh, telescope and started panning around looking for it and finally found
0: it. All right, I think one thing that's important, we need to do two things here. We need to talk safety, but first, let's point out, Chris, that the scope we're using here, the the SolarMax scope, and many telescopes have what's called a diagonal, which means there's a prism. So, when people see the images, the video we're posting from these scopes, can you explain to them what that means since there is a diagonal, what it's doing to the image they view?
2: Yes. With the diagonal in there, actually, when you're looking through your camera or if you take a picture of it, the image is mirrored and then flipped 180 degrees.
0: Okay. So, The reason I think it's important is because if people set out to try to replicate this, and they do it with some device that does not have a diagonal prism, you need to understand that the image we're showing you has not been corrected. It came through a telescope with a prism, so it is mirrored and flipped 180 degrees. So in other words, if you're looking at us going down with the scope in the video, it's actually going up. If it's down to the right, it's up to the left. Did I say that right, Chris? Yes. Okay, so let's just talk safety for a second here because we're talking about the sun with telescopes. If you have never used a telescope around the sun, and I don't give a darn whether it's a solar telescope or a regular telescope, you can go blind in a flash of a second. I have taken the rear cell off my scope with both my SolarMax, which knocks down surface brightness 90-some percent, and my regular telescope, which doesn't. And put a plank of oak behind. In a millisecond, it just torches oak. That means if your eye or your hand or your body was exposed to that, you would be instantly, seriously burned. So if you don't have experience, do not point telescopes near the sun if you do not understand what you're doing. And even if you do, You've got to be darn careful because a lot of times you're dealing with filters on the front of the scope that could fall off or other things. And I just want to get that out there because I don't want to hear a year from now someone went blind or was seriously injured. And I'm not even kidding you. Within a millisecond, an oak plank is just completely torched. It's it's a bit like taking a a, a huge magnifying glass and focusing the sun, except the telescope is doing a better job of focusing it and holding it in focus. So we got that all out of the way. So, Chris, you and I were talking about some experiments um, that we want to do as it warms up here in Rhode Island, and I'm able to get back out about things. So what ideas do you have that we can simultaneously shoot or do? do between the two of us to help us vet this out further well
2: i think one of your ideas were good to set up both at the same time and see if the distance between the sun that we don't see and the sun that we do see if there's any angular differences or any uh distance differences between the two
0: Right, and I think that we're kind of positioned really well, um, because you're in Denver, and I'm in the northeast in Rhode Island, so I haven't looked on a map, but I I would imagine we're roughly 2,000 miles apart, but I'm quite a bit further north than you are, so the point we're making here is if there are physically two objects there, we should see an angular distance. Now, when I shot it back, when I was in San Diego and I shot it, I guessed that it was the the object we don't see from the sun was roughly three suns to the side and then one up, which would actually be down. Do you have any measurement for the replication you did or an estimation? That's
2: pretty close. I'm going to go through my footage again and see if I can come up with uh, more of a pinpointed estimate of the sun widths up and over.
0: Right, so San Diego would be a bit south of Denver, but I think it's less than a 1,000 miles. If I'm not mistaken, you can drive to Denver from San Diego in a day, Um, but it will be interesting to see these things. Some of the other ideas, and actually refresh my memory, we had listed two or three ideas, and and I'm, I'm not recalling right now. Chris, do you recall?
2: One of the ideas that I had was to wait for the sun to go behind one of the mountain peaks and see if I can still see Both are one of the
0: objects. All right, so that I'd I'd forgotten that already. Um, That's ingenious. So basically what we're saying here is you can see the sun that you see all the time, but there is apparently another object up there. And let's be perfectly clear. We're calling an object because we have to have conversation. For all I know, it could be a reflection on what I call the hard-fast barrier. It could be a source on the other side of the barrier. Can you think of any other possibilities, Chris? No, I like the
2: idea of it being a reflection, one off the atmos plane or uh, the projection that we cannot see with our eyes that actually projects the object that we call the sun that we actually see.
0: Right, that's that's the one that I like too. And when I say I like, um, it's just because I think there's merit there. Uh, Anyone who's seen the old Masonic tracing boards will often see the two pillars that you always see, the checkered floor that you always see, but the sun and moon will be near the top of the frame and there's like clouds above the sun and moon and there's a hole in the clouds with light clearly coming in, hitting the sun we see. Quite often there's angels holding lenses that is lensing the light that we see down to the ground. So uh, I've wondered, is have we started to uncover what's being encoded there? But anyhow, Jason, do you want to jump in on this?
1: I've been monitoring our social media a lot just to see what people are saying about this whole phenomenon. And I've noticed a lot of real split discussions on what they think it is. Some folks are really... Intrigued and excited, and really thinking it's a second object. But there's a smaller camp that definitely thinks it's just something going on in the scopes that's a reflection of some sort inside, especially since some of them were saying that you could see the power line that was visible in the one is kind of sort of visible in the other. And just so I can play devil's advocate here, since I'm not doing any sort of solar work, maybe we can do our best to pull that apart and explain what is going on and all of that.
0: All right, let's do that. And actually, for people who are not familiar with using telescopes in general, specifically solar telescopes, what was proven in Chris's footage were that what I'll call the sun we do not see has a phone wire going through it, clear as day. I have quite a bit of experience, and I can tell you I have filmed small birds going across the sun if they're far enough away. You can see it. If there was a phone line in front of the sun, you would see it. And so this plays into what both Chris and I are leaning to, and it's part of the reason why we're leaning to it, that the sun we do not see is projecting the image that we do see that we familiarly call the sun. Here's why. So we're looking at the sun with a solar telescope and hydrogen alpha. We can see surface detail. We can see the prominences on the edge. And then we go over to this other object that we don't usually see. And there's phone wires going across it. So then Chris pans back, there's no phone wires, but there's clearly a color differentiation on the sun we do see, but no wires, keep that in mind, there are no visible wires. If there were, I assure you, you could see them. And that's the sun you see. So, you know, you can remove your eye from the scope and look up and know you're looking at the sun that is physically there that you always see. But there is that color differentiation marking exactly where the wire should be. And that plays into the idea that the unseen object is somehow projecting or contributing to the sun we see. Did I explain that very well, Chris? Can you add anything or do a better job? No, I think you did an excellent job of explaining it. And so, in your mind, I mean, besides the Masonic tracing boards and the Falconelli research and all these other alchemical things that I've read that lead me into considering this possibility that the unseen object is actually projecting the sun, we do see. Is that phone wire some of the evidence that has you thinking in the same way?
2: Yes, I concur with exactly everything that you just said. And that was one of the other things that I want to do is wait for the sun whenever I get a clear evening and there isn't any clouds to set up my solar telescope and actually wait for the sun that we do see to be eclipsed by the wire to show what we're trying to tell everybody.
0: Right. Now that would be genius. So what, what we currently have on film, because Chris filmed it, is the sun we do not see with a telephone wire in front of it. And then the sun we do see, no wire, but a clear indication of color change where the wire should be. What Chris is proposing is if he waits till the same time of day so the sun we do see gets the wire in front of it, he can then pan back To the object we do not see, or the sun we do not see, I guess is what we're calling it, to see, is there any mark at all on that? And by the same token, uh, he has mountains where he is. If he's ever in a position where the sun we do not see is higher than the sun we do see, he can wait for the mountain to eclipse the sun and then go shoot the object we do not see. Did I get all that right? Yes, that's perfect. All right, Jason, do you want to jump back in here?
1: I'm trying to think how else to address this, because I know a lot of folks are just really doubting the fact that there is a second object up there. And perhaps this might be a good time for us to revisit some of the ancient texts that we were referencing before about the triune God concept and how, let's uh, put it maybe like the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that concept... And that would be the sun we do see, the sun we don't see, and then the moon. I believe I'm explaining that correct, right, Crow?
0: Well, that that is the idea, and we used it. And, and this is not just something we're pulling out of a hat. We're not just noticing a comparison here and making it. There are older texts that use the, the very same idea. There are Falconelli quotes that we used in the film, Shoot the Moon, that begin to speak to this. And again, guests like Franco Lena, who were actually schooled in alchemy um, to be doing the work that he's doing, when he saw the double sun clip that I put up, he contacted back and said, I've known there's a double sun for a long time. I was taught that within the scope of my esoteric training. Putting all that aside, one of the ideas that were floating out, uh, which is maybe some kind of a possible explanation, would be a simile or a metaphor is this. In the same way, in Western religion, you're told there's one God, but there's three gods, but there's really only one God. The one God is creating the sun, which would be the sun we see. The Holy Spirit, which would be the moon, and then the Father, which would be the sun we do not see, or the source for the other two. But for that to even hold water or be correct in any way, we'd have to start to be able to demonstrate that the object we don't see is somehow contributing. But the phone wire goes a long way to really making that idea a worthwhile endeavor to think about. And I'll say another thing before I hand it back, Jason. Um, All the people that are doubting, how can you blame them? Um, When you come out with stuff like this, um, it's hard to wrap your mind around. But nonetheless, uh, I would point out during the 2017 solar eclipse, we all saw images that that went online of people taking a regular camera shooting the sun we do see being eclipsed, totally overexposed, and then this smaller mirrored version of the sun being eclipsed in perfect focus, showing that there were two objects there beyond a doubt. Now, we could argue all day long whether that's some kind of—it's clearly not lens flare. There's enough video out there to prove factually that it is not lens flare, and I've seen I don't know, six or seven examples that establish this, but it could still be argued that the other image is some kind of reflection on a firmament, on a hard, fast barrier. Some people like to say the dome. However the heck you want to describe what it could be reflecting off, that is absolutely a possibility. Anyhow, Jason.
1: So let's talk about, is there any possibility, especially since you and Chris are using identical equipment, that this is something going on internally inside the mechanism of these telescopes, and That's what's getting picked up by the camera that's attached.
0: Well, I can say no for this reason. It's hard to say that these things are identical, and here's why. When I bought mine, I tested three of them, (laughs) and I picked the best one. These are not the greatest solar telescopes, just to be clear about it. But yeah, we're using both Solar Maxes. But here's what I did. When I was first doing it and I'm going, oh my God, man, how can there possibly be a second sun? This has to be lens flare. One of the things I did was take a very long cardboard tube, put it over the scope to try to eliminate lens flare. Chris did the same thing. I used my hand to do light blocking, but one of the things I did is the double stack on the end of the scope, you can spin it. So I spun the double stack to see if I could get the image to change. I could not as fate would have it. On either the following day or the day after that, when I kept coming back two or three days in a row to keep trying to confirm this, I took the double stack off and I couldn't see it anymore. Then I was really thinking this has to be the double stack. Lo and behold, I put my full spectrum camera on the Solar Max without the double stack and I picked it up again. Uh, which is the more pinkish looking footage that I've provided. Um, Chris, what are some of the things? I mean, did you spin your double stack? Explain to folks all the things you did to try to prove that it wasn't lens flare, even though at this point, I think we can 98% for sure say this has nothing to do with equipment lens flaring.
2: Right. And I won't totally eliminate the possibility that it isn't that, because we could have missed something. But I think that we have, Done everything that we possibly can that I can think of to eliminate that this is lens flare. And I've done the same thing. I took uh, a long tube, probably three feet or longer, a black one that had no refer. I tried it with a white one and decided to go with pitch black or flat black to make sure that I for sure didn't have any lens flare or any extra light going through. And I have spun the telescope and I have also spun the double stack.
0: Did you do any light blocking with your hand?
2: Yes, also the light blocking with my hand and also the footage that I showed where I went out and waited for cloud cover and compared the cloud cover over the sun that we don't see versus the sun that we do see or the object that we don't see versus the sun that we do see. And I have picked up a difference In the cloud cover over both of these objects. And I was panning very quickly between the two.
0: So I like the way that you opened up there. So let me reiterate for people who are not scope savvy, who don't have scopes and hundreds of hours. The phone line is a proof. The fact that he shot both of them with cloud cover and can show that the cloud cover is different over the the object we don't see and the sun that we do see. We both did light blocking with our hands. We both spun the double stack and we both used long tubes to eliminate lens flare. But I like the way Chris opened with uh, unless we are are overlooking something and you know we're human. That is always a possibility. And look what I did. I shot this in 2016. I didn't present it till 2019 um, because I was so worried that i would put out erroneous information you want to jump back in jason
1: right so if we're going with the notion that it doesn't seem to be any kind of equipment thing what's the next step what exactly did we do at the end of shoot the moon for instance you had the full spectrum on how is that different than the h alpha for instance and how would that be different from the h alpha and does it prove or disprove anything as to the validity of the second object
0: That's a good question, Jason. And and to be honest with you, I I don't want to put out bad information. And when when you pop a question like that on me, I kind of feel like I need more time to consider it. I need time to look up spectral information and try to logically work it out. But it comes down to this, I guess. This is off the cuff, and I'm not calling this definitive. With the full-spectrum camera, you are, in fact, picking up waves, uh, light, frequencies that your eyes do not see. You're getting into infrared, which your eye cannot pick up, and you're getting into ultraviolet, which your light with your eyes don't see. Not far into those two spectrums, but far enough beyond what your eye can see. Now, other people just did research on hydrogen alpha, and I need to look this up again because I have not looked at the spectral information on hydrogen alpha since I first got the scope. So, it's not fresh in my mind, but they were saying that it was within the visual spectrum. I need to look it all back up and to confirm if that's true. So, basically what we're saying here is if... H-alpha does fall within the range of visible light uh, that the human eye can pick up. Then what I picked up with the full-spectrum camera just shows that there's light waves involved here that your eye can never see, ever, no matter what. What do you think about all that, Chris?
2: Yes, I concur with that. And I think part of this is what we're trying to do is get people interested into this, and hopefully more people can, one, find what we're talking about, or two, maybe confirm that uh, we have missed something.
0: Right, and you know, I did see some some pretty clever comments in the comments section where someone said, well, wait a minute, if you can see this, there, if there is a second object there, and you're seeing it in hydrogen alpha, there's got to be a double shadow. And I thought about that, and I started thinking, yeah, but we're looking in hydrogen alpha. But nonetheless, I think you could maintain that it's likely that that other object should be casting a shadow so let's start talking about equipment people can use and let's start from very cheap up to tools where you would have to spend money
1: crow before we do that why don't i read this little bit on the h alpha
0: okay go ahead you looked it up good
1: So H-alpha is a specific deep red visible spectral line in the Balmer series with a wavelength of 656.28 nanometers in air. It occurs when a hydrogen electron falls from its third to second lowest energy level. H-alpha light is important to astronomers as it is emitted by many emission nebulae and can be used to observe features in the sun's atmosphere, including solar prominences and the chromosphere, which is, of course, what you have done quite a lot of.
0: Right. And I think the important bit of that is that they've told you it's basically red and it's in the visual. And that does play back to the idea, well, if there's two objects, could there be two shadows? But What do you think? Are you guys ready to try to describe some tools for people who want to get involved and try to help vet this out, see what they can film, see what they can add to what we know? What do you think?
1: Let's start with the Boy Scout stuff. Things you can do for next to nothing.
0: Right. So I'm a bit older than most of the listeners. I think I was born in the 60s. But when I was young, when a solar eclipse happened, you were told, don't look at that or you'll go blind which I laugh at now, but all of you can go online to look up how to make a pinhole projection device to observe eclipses. It's not quite a camera obscura, but it's a similar idea, I guess. But just look up devices that you can make to view a solar eclipse so that you're projecting it onto a piece of white paper. That is one way, uh, I think, that needs to be built and tested to see if we can pick up the second object. Chris, are you familiar? I mean, you're you're nearly as old as I am. (laughs) Are you familiar with the pinhole method of projecting an eclipse onto white paper?
2: Yes, very familiar with it.
0: So do you think there's there's maybe merit to trying to prove out a second object using this basically cost-free method?
2: Yes, I think that would be uh, highly valuable. One, we could either eliminate whether it works or not, or uh, see if it actually does pick
0: it up. So I would have to think about this. You know what? What if someone does do that and they get a result? Please take video, not still pictures, video of what they're doing, because you'd be projecting it onto a white piece of paper, but... You know, knowing that H-alpha, as they describe it, is red, but in the visual spectrum, if you had things like 3D glasses, where one is red and one is blue, you might try looking through that as you're doing these tests. If you could use a green piece of cellophane, a yellow piece, an orange piece, these types of ideas to try to make the evidence that you might get more evident. Anything to add, Jason? What would the...
1: 3D glasses do just out of curiosity because those should be pretty commonly available and I would think
0: so basically I'm not suggesting that you'll get a 3D image I'm suggesting that one side is red and one side is blue so you could put one eye up to the red side looking at the projection on the white paper and see if it helps you detect anything and then put it over to the blue side and do that because typically what a hydrogen alpha telescope is allowing you to see, like surface detail of the sun and the prominences are not things you can just do with your naked eye or with a filter that just knocks down surface brightness. So that's why I was thinking in that way. And also commonly in astronomy, like if you look at the moon, there will be certain colored filters you put on your eyepiece to help bring details up to be more apparent. So that's the idea behind all that.
1: Now, again, since we're encouraging people to go and try these things, what dangers might there be with this initial suggestion?
0: I don't see any dangers. The whole idea of the pinhole setup is to prevent the human eye from looking straight at the sun, so I don't think there's any danger there. I don't I think it's pretty simple. You're you're projecting the light of the sun through a pinhole device that you can look up online how to make it to view they they typically do it for solar eclipses, so I think that's pretty safe. Okay.
1: And are there other Ways you could do on the cheap for any of this, or would we be moving to another tier at this point?
0: I think we moved to another tier at this point, and I would refer everybody back to the full eclipse of 2017, where people with any kind of camera were filming. Overexposed, and so people understand what overexposed means. When you see me shoot the sun, it's in perfect focus. You can see sunspots, you can see the edge, there's no radiating glare. That's perfectly exposed. Now, if I overexpose it, it'll become a big white blob of light. Now, people who shot the eclipse overexposed, so the sun we see is a big white blob of light with no detail. We're able to pick up the dim double image or that second image of the sun being eclipsed. So to put that into context, people who exposed the sun correctly could not pick up the other object. It was too dim. People who overexposed the sun could pick up the second object. Now, I've been saying since 2016, I suspect you can pick up this anomaly at sunrise and sunset. If you do choose to take an iPhone or any other camera that you might have already, you can shoot regular, you can shoot overexposed, you can shoot underexposed, any way you want. You should try them all to try to pick up the second object.
1: So, Crow, what would we be moving on to next? And by the way, you did say something about iPhones Is there anything we should be addressing, perhaps, with the cameras built into a lot of these phones? Because, as I'm sure most of our listeners know, there's some pretty powerful cameras in these phones. Even my now-getting-old iPhone 7 has a 4K camera built into it. And I'm wondering, is there anything we could uh, get for them that could get you some results?
0: Well, I think what we're talking about, or what I was referring to just now, is shooting the sun overexposed at set or rise, so when the sun is very low on the horizon. When the sun is low on the horizon, it is coming through more atmosphere to your eye, and there is less UV involved. Um, The only danger is people don't want to damage their camera, but you will find even good DSLRs. You can video the sun looking straight at it for short periods of time. I would not suggest taking a good camera and videoing it, you know, so the sensor's picking up light for minutes at a time because you'll probably fry something um, depending on how well made the thing is. But with my DSLRs, I can easily point it at the sun for a minute or less and get good footage.
1: Now, there's something with iPhones I happen to know that Crow probably doesn't, and that's that there are apps available, and some of which I think are actually free, that enable you to change settings for your iPhone's camera that aren't readily accessible in the native iPhone iOS program. So if you want to be able to mess around with things and change things that Crow's referring to, you can get apps. And as I said, I think there are actually some free options available. So I'd like to get that on the record for anybody that wants to try that. But we can't state this enough. Please be careful with what you're doing. The last thing we want to do is have someone damage their phone or even worse, their eyes or something like that. So make sure you're doing your homework on anything you attempt to do. But there are tools available to you if you already happen to have a phone like this.
0: Right, and let's be clear about this. Sun gazing is a thing, but it's not done when the sun is high in the sky, and it's not done by people who didn't start with just a couple seconds. And there's a lot more to it than that. So just understand, you just don't go out when the sun is high in the sky and stare at it. Some people could damage their eyes or worse. Um, So just be an adult about things.
2: Yeah, and I'll jump in on the iPhone here because I shoot quite a few sunrises and I've noticed if you want to, if you don't want to download the app, if you uh, play with the position, you can can touch your screen to get to focus on a certain spot. If you pull it away from a bright object and you focus on something darker, you touch it, and then you move back to the bright object, that's another way to overexpose the picture. Or if you want to dim Mm -hmm. the picture down, if you focus on something bright and you want and you hit the focus on that and you move it, it'll darken or lessen the light coming into your iPhone.
0: Right. And let's be perfectly clear here. My contention is that the second object is visual or visible in the visual spectrum at sunrise, at sunset, and it's been proven uh, during solar eclipses. When, when, uh, when the sun is being eclipsed. So if we were going to take a step up from there, Jason, I would imagine the next step up would probably be a DSLR. So a DSLR with a 35 millimeter lens would be the next step up. And all the things we just described using an iPhone uh, still apply. And again, if you have a good DSLR, you're not going to want to point it straight at the sun in video for five minutes. You'll probably fry something. But to do it for 30 seconds or 45 seconds is enough to get evidence and probably safe for most, most tools.
1: Shall we discuss for a moment the differences between different DSLRs, especially the uh, older models that you can get that are actually pretty inexpensive these days? You started with a T2i Canon Rebel. I have a Canon Rebel T3 I've had for several years. What do you think the effectiveness of such a camera would be, especially since you can get those for under $300 these days?
0: I think the main argument I would make uh, between like the T2i I started with and the better cameras I got, it's mostly about megapixels, right? So if you film something and there's a lot of megapixels, when you get the video, you can zoom in a lot more if you have more megapixels. I think that's the main difference. Clearly, there's quality differences the more expensive the better quality the camera is but there's nothing that would stop someone from using a canon t2i which probably at this point jason i imagine you could probably pick those up for a hundred bucks at this point or less couldn't you
1: well i'll take a look but i know that they are pretty inexpensive these days The, uh, the big difference between the t2i and the t3i right off the top of my head and it's got a flip screen as opposed to the LCD viewer being into the back of it. And I notice that that's just a light years difference, just being able to position yourself and being able to move that little window around as opposed to being totally locked into just what's on the back of the camera where you'd have to stare right at that as opposed to having something that's adjustable.
0: In other words, any DSLR with about 16 megapixels or better uh, would be enough to start to to provide proofs. But I think the next step up from that, you start to talk about telescopes. So, Chris, let's first talk about the SolarMax Hydrogen Alpha scopes. For my part, uh, I've told the story a lot of times how my first telescope that discovered the lunar wave was made in the 90s in America, and it was Mead, and I loved it. And that scope still goes strong. Unfortunately, Meade telescopes are no longer made in America. I later purchased a 12-inch. It failed, it failed, it failed. I made them take it back, and I swore that I would steer everybody clear of making that mistake. How do you feel about the SolarMax scope? If you had it to do over again, would you buy a Coronado, or would you be looking at something else?
2: No, I would probably look towards something else. It is a good, decent scope, And I believe after you asked me the other day, one of the reasons I did look at it, it was a little more inexpensive than the other ones. But if I had to do all over again, I would go with
0: something else. So would I. I would not recommend the Coronado Scope. They do a decent job, but they're just not really quality tools, to be honest about it. Um, And as I started to use it every day years ago, I started wondering how long it was going to last with me Taking things on and off and changing the add-on filter and all this, Lunt I believe is one of the brands that might be superior. Is that correct, Chris?
2: Yes, that was the one that I was looking at first. And like I said, it was uh, they're a little more expensive, and some people would say a lot more expensive than the Coronado. That's why I leaned toward this one because there—that's uh, a lot of money to spend on a telescope when the only thing that you can do is look at the sun.
0: Right. That is that is the primary concern. And these are not cheap, folks. I guess you must have a 60 millimeter two Solar Max, you're talking thousands of dollars. And if you want to put the double stack, it's even more. And so that's a good point to make. If you buy a solar scope, guess what? You're pretty much looking at the sun and nothing else with it. Anything else you'd add there, Chris?
2: No, other than... I purchased, and that's another thing I want to do, is I've got two different filters. I think it come with five. I forget what they call it. They've got a five and a ten. And I bought ten, and I'm going to put the ten on there. I've been shooting with the five and see if I can pick up again the second object that we
0: don't see. So I'm not sure what filters you're referring to. Are you talking about the, the, the ones that let certain nanometers or whatever it's called of light through? Is that what we're talking about?
2: Right. I think that's what it is. You got the 5 nanometer and the 10 nanometer. They also have a 30 that isn't a prism. When you put that one on, you look directly through the solar telescope without it going through a prism and flipping the image.
0: What's the gain from doing the 30? Do you know?
2: No, I don't, but it is very expensive. It's fifteen hundred dollars. I think my ten nanometer was right around I believe five or seven hundred dollars.
0: Holy smokes. Do you recall what the double stack cost?
2: When I bought mine, I bought it with the double stack on it.
0: okay. I think I actually bought mine separate and again you're you're talking hundreds of dollars for the double stack so you can see you can see what we're talking about so to reverse gears a bit and just go back to telescopes that is also a way you could try to do this but as far as we know A regular visual telescope, if there's no solar eclipse going on, may or may not pick up this object. Um, We're just not sure. We know that it can be seen during an eclipse, and I have logically worked out that it should be visible at sunrise and sunset. Also, Chris has a theory that it's solar noon. If anything is going on like we're supposing it does up there, it's possible that the two objects come in perfect line from your point of view but to get back to telescopes that's a whole new new game now if you buy a telescope you can buy filters that knock down the surface brightness of the sun by 98 or 99% it gives you a black and white image of the sun you can see sunspots and things like that but you cannot see the prominences and other things that is a way you could go now if you choose to buy telescopes from my part for filming the night sky because if you're going to get a telescope you can film anything you like you can film the sun with filters the moon nebula uh so-called planets which i call luminaries any of these things you could you could film my favorite and most versatile telescope is called schmidt Cassegrain. for my money it's the easiest to use it's the easiest to get tracking and it's the easiest to get a camera on the rear cell what are your thoughts on that chris
2: Yes, I I concur with everything you just said. That's why I bought the 8-inch one that I have.
0: Right, so the 8-inch Celestron you have is equivalent in aperture to the Meade that shot the 2012 lunar wave. Now, I will stress one more time, if you buy a regular telescope and you go out to do solar observation, you better damn well pay attention to what you're doing. You can go blind in the fraction of a second if you take a full-size scope pointed at the sun and get your eyes anywhere near an eyepiece. Um, for my money, there are filters for full-size telescopes that just cover the eyepiece. I do not recommend that. I recommend that you cover the entire front aperture of the telescope and ensure beyond reasonable doubt that that filter is firmly on the front of your telescope and there's no way the wind or anything else can blow it off because I am not kidding you. I burned up a rear cell cover once when the front cover on my telescope fell off and the sun hit the rear cell cover. It fried it in like two seconds.
1: The safety thing, man, that just keeps coming to my mind when you say things like that. For the love of all that is holy, please be careful with what
0: you're doing. Yeah, don't mess around with the sun and optical tools. Just don't do it.
2: And then one other thing I'll add too, because I've used uh, solar filters on other telescopes. One of the things that you should do periodically is take that filter and point it at a bright light and make sure that there isn't a whole lot of pinholes coming through. And they're very easy to correct. If you have those pinholes, you can take like a black felt tip marker and you can repair those uh, little pinholes.
0: All right, so we should qualify that statement. Typically with most scopes that are up around eight inches where you're going to need a filter that it's eight inches wide or bigger, um, there's a couple kinds of solar filters that go over the front of the telescope. One of them looks like tin foil. That's the one that Chris was referring to. And he's absolutely right. It's what I use. As a matter of fact, my wife made the one that goes over the front of my camera. You regularly need to go outside, hold that thing up near the sun and look through it without a telescope, just to see if there's any holes to ensure that no unfiltered light's going to get through. There is also another type of filter, which is more like a sheet of glass, where that is not such a concern. But for my part, Chris, most of the astronomers that I know uh, that are big into scopes prefer the tinfoily type to the solid type.
2: I did not know that because I've got a solid glass one that I've used.
0: I always wanted to because I just felt like it was safer and more durable, but I had a couple people, even at the scope shop, say that you're better off just going with this other one, but if you do go with the tin foily paper-looking Mylar paper, uh, you got to be damn sure that when you take it off each time, you need to check for pinholes.
1: By the way, we didn't actually address the uh, other fairly inexpensive option that we could Go with, and that's the Nikon P900 or the one I now have, the Nikon P1000. And I'm still learning how to do all of this with the camera, but I did get an ND100000 filter and took a few shots. And Crow was actually quite surprised with how good they came out, the level of detail. And it actually looked a lot like some of the solar work he has done. And man, I was impressed. I think the thing pretty much acts almost like a small telescope, but it does. Yeah, so that's another option for you. The P900s, by the way, you can get them for under $400 now. The P1000 is in the $1,000-ish range. I think you can get them on sale for around $900. But I'm very, very impressed with the zoom capabilities on them. The only thing I'm not overly blown away with are the uh, sensors on them. It's a small sensor for the size of the camera and the, the zoom capability, and I'm mildly conspiratorially minded about that, that (laughs) you have such an incredibly powerful tool with that massive zoom. If it was paired with a much larger sensor, I think you could do incredible things with that in comparison to that small sensor. But
0: what do I know? Yeah, in other words, why the hell doesn't the P one thousand have thirty six megapixels? I hear you, um, but to to be fair, um, when Jason showed me the solar, he has a solar filter, just a standard one that knocks down surface brightness. When he showed it to me, I immediately recognized that if someone showed me that image ten years ago, I would have been certain it was shot with a telescope. So those are very capable cameras, and again. If someone does have the P900 or P9000 with all that optical zoom, one critical thing to remember is don't be coming with still images as evidence. The problem is you cannot vet a still image. If you pick up a second object and you are videoing it and you move your camera around, it will absolutely be easy to prove whether second or third objects are lens flare or not. And that's a critical thing to remember. If you just take still shots and think you've got something, the problem is is it's valueless. It cannot be vetted in, in any way that I'm aware of to show whether or not that's lens flare. when you have video and there are two objects, the objects will remain equidistant from one another where the lens flare will not. The lens flare will be wholly dependent on the planar angle of the face of your lens to the light source.
1: Now, the one thing I would like to add in before we close out here is the additional gear that I highly recommend to go with either of those cameras. And I can just tell you what I have and the experience I've had with them, but I cannot recommend a good tripod enough. I use Sirui, S-I-R-U-I. I actually have the least expensive one they make for full tripod. I may be mistaken about that, but it's the same ones that I have for my Blackmagic pocket cinemas that I shot Shoot the Moon with. And it does a good job of holding the camera, even though it's a much larger camera than the Black Magic's. But it has a great spread, and you can adjust the tripod. But I also added something I would never had before, which was a moving head, which is the very traditional movie camera-looking thing with the big, long arm on it. I got one of those because I knew that if I was going to try and slowly move around and things like that, the normal ball head that comes with those tripods probably would be a big pain in the butt to try and move around and dial in. So what I've been doing is locking down that moving head most of the way so that I have to really put some effort into panning up and down and side to side so that while I'm looking at things, if I catch something, I'm not going to accidentally overshoot, if you guys get what I mean. Also, the other really important thing is the quality of the SD cards are very important. Now, both those cameras are capable of shooting video and very good video. I've tested it. It looks great. It actually can go all the way up to 4K. But if you don't have decent video cards, you risk the notion of frame drops, which means that you could be shooting, and if you're shooting at a high resolution, that the card cannot keep up with what the camera is throwing at it data wise i use sandisk extreme pros they're a little more expensive of course but it's the only thing i use for my black magics which do near film quality and it's the same thing i tried with the nikons and i'm having just as good of results no problems no drop frame rates so
0: there you go all right, so the reason we're doing this episode is because so many people who saw Shot the Moon or sh- "Shot the moon, Shoot the Moon are becoming interested in filming the sky. And lastly, before I close down this episode, I'd like to say this. If you go out to get evidence of a potentially unseen sun or a double object near the sun— do not just use a locked tripod shot. If you're on a locked tripod shot and you get it, unlock your tripod and move the camera around a little bit so that it can be proven one way or the other, whether it's an object that you're seeing or lens flare. This is critically important. Anyhow, Shoot the Moon, the movie, is streaming on Vimeo now on demand. It's been seen in 28 countries. There are links on Crow 777 Radio on Facebook, on Crow 777 on twitter or you can email jason or i if you're interested anyhow that does bring hour one of episode 155 to a close we're going to go over into the second hour and we'll probably start getting into a few more esoteric things that were in the free speech zone if in fact we can confirm that there is another object there it's a hell of a thing anyhow there it is cheers